turn with me back to Matthew chapter 13. And you'll, uh, you'll want that open. As Sam was saying there, we're kicking off today in verse, in verse 24. But just while you turn there, uh, let me take you back. What was that phrase? Take, me back, take you back, take you way back to first century Israel. Uh, Israel at this point has been occupied by the Romans for about 90 years. You think about during the Second World War and stuff, when France was occupied for, for four years, that kind of thing. Um, Israel's been occupied for 90 years at this point, and they're going to be occupied for, for some time more. And the Jewish people were looking to the promises made by God in the Old Testament about sending a, a chosen one to save his people, the Messiah. Expectations were high, partly because of how he's described in the Old Testament, he's described uh, as this wonderful person, but also magnified because the nation has been occupied for so long. They are, the people of Israel are so desperate for their situation to change. And the Messiah was going to come and fix everything. He was going to fix it all straight away and everything was going to be brilliant both for Israel and for his individual Jewish followers he will be the king he will purge the nation from the unrighteous from the wicked who rebuke those who don't believe they're expecting this chosen one to establish a kingdom of righteousness all across the world and everyone will believe So that's the situation as we go to the, these three parables today. Well, my name is Ian. I'm one of the leaders here at Rotherham Evangelical Church. And we're going to look at these three parables. Uh, ben took us through uh, a parable last week. We've got some more coming up. But there's this uh, big one about the parable of the weeds. Your, your Bible might call it the parable of the tares. It's another word for a weed. Uh, and the parable of the mustard seed and of the leavened bread. So let's think about the disciples here at this point. The disciples are hearing Jesus' teaching here in verse 24. And they, they suspect that Jesus might be the Messiah. And they think that he might be bringing the kingdom of God into being right here, right now. And they're right. <laughs> they're right in, in both. But the disciples have got a problem because he's not behaving in the way that they're expecting the Messiah to behave. Sure, he's healing people and he's teaching people. But he's not calling together armies. He's not smiting the unbelievers. He's not punishing the wicked. And giving power to the righteous. And we get a sense of the disciples' attitude from a, a couple of other places in the Bible. You don't have to turn there, but in, in Luke chapter 9, you can look at it afterwards. Uh, it says this, uh, and he sent, so Jesus sent messages on ahead 
who went to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So in other words, the disciples were saying, can we burn up the unbelievers? Or John chapter 6. John chapter 6 verse 15 says this here. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The disciples are expecting the Messiah to be someone who's going to burn up the unbelievers and who's going to be proclaimed a big king and throw the Romans out. This is the expectations they have. We roll into chapter 12 of Matthew and the Pharisees have just called Jesus demonic conflict and opposition arising. We roll into the start of chapter 13 and Jesus has said that some people are going to get the gospel and they're going to be saved and bring a harvest, but many are not. So a question the disciples have in their heads at this point when Jesus is teaching. When, when is the kingdom coming in? When is it going to be ushered in as we expect it? When will it grow? When, it will be, when will it become influential and significant? When do we get to destroy all these unrighteous people? Surely it's now. And today some of Jesus' followers will often ask those same questions. Perhaps in a different way, in a different shape, but the same sentiment. So Jesus answers them with parables and he answers us with parables. So we're going to look at his answer today with very uh, three brief points. Patience while we wait for resolution. Patience while we wait for expansion. Patience while we wait for influence. So patience while we wait for resolution. Patience while we wait for expansion. And patience while we wait for influence. So first of all, patience while we wait for Resolution. Look with me there back in verse 24. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm going to mash together the, the explanation from verse 36 onwards and the actual parable, verse 24, put them together. Um, so Jesus, it says Jesus sows good seed. And that is the people of his kingdom. And he sows them into the world. Sowing seeds of familiar task in this agricultural community. Then the devil comes along at night behind and sows these other people who are not in Jesus' kingdom. In the same field, side by side, close together. This sounds very weird behaviour to us, doesn't it? I mean... It's all very well throwing an occasional slug over your neighbour's fence or whatever, but actually actually planting weeds in the harvest field is another thing totally. But apparently at the time, this was a thing. 
this was the thing. If you didn't get on with your neighbour and you were having a bit of a dispute, you might very well go and sow weeds in the field. In fact, there was a specific law in the Roman Empire to prosecute you if you, if you did this. Sounds strange to us now. Now, you might remember from a couple of weeks ago that, that we said that we're all in one kingdom or another. We're all on one side or another. We're all either on Jesus' side or we're not on his side. Now, let's be clear with this, this, with this parable. Jesus is talking about a, a specific point, a specific point in time where his followers are the wheat and those who aren't his followers are the weeds. Yes, we all start out as weeds. We all start out as sinners. And through faith and repentance, some of us, as we heard in the previous, gospel, uh, previous parable, accept the gospel and are saved. But in terms of this message, at this point, this, this, the point Jesus is trying to get across, some people are the wheat and some people are the weeds. And, but there's no middle ground. You can't be half a weed and half a stalk of wheat. That doesn't work. Um, so the parable continues. The servants of Jesus ask if they can pull up the weeds. That's a sensible thing to do, right? You've got weeds, pull them up. Uh, that is, destroy the people of the, the devil's kingdom, as it says there. Jesus says no. And here's the thing. This particular weed that, that Jesus is talking about, it's called Darnell, if that's how you say it. Um, it looks almost the same as wheat until the harvest. You can't really tell the difference between the two, not easily. So Jesus tells his servants, no, don't pull up the weeds. Because if you do, you're going to destroy some of the good crop. Because they're close together, you're going to struggle to tell them apart. Because they look similar, you're going to struggle to tell them apart. Wait until the harvest time. Because when they harvest, you can tell the difference really easily. And then the wheat will be gathered in and the weeds will be burnt. Jesus is talking directly to his disciples at this point. They want to pull up the weeds. They want to destroy the unbelievers. Like it said in Luke chapter 9. Jesus says no. Because you're going to destroy fellow believers when you do that. Because you just don't see spiritually well enough to distinguish between the two. You just can't tell. There's going to be friendly fire incidents. You're going you're to crush some of the righteous when you do this. Some of my followers, some of Jesus' followers. Be patient. It was true then, and it's still an important truth today for us, for God's people. If you think about it, there's been a number of times in history when the church, when the people of God have tried to do this and have had exactly the result that Jesus talked about in this parable. Whether you're thinking about the Spanish Inquisition, whether you're thinking about the Crusades, whether you're talking about the persecution of Puritans. It's not our job to pull up the weeds. 
It's not our job to judge the non-Christian world and mete out judgment. We don't see well enough to spot the difference. Even with the very best of motives, other Christians will be damaged and destroyed by accident. So be patient. But having said that, let's not forget that is not forever. Someone is coming who can perfectly judge, who can perfectly tell the difference. The parable tells us that as well as being the sower, Jesus and his angels are perfectly qualified to spot the difference between the people of his kingdom and the people of Satan's kingdom. And he promises here that he will return. He will exercise that perfect judgment and his followers will be citizens of the kingdom of God, shining like the sun, sharing in his glory, the glory that's rightfully been God's from before time. And that when he returns, those who have not followed him will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a truly terrible and frightening prospect. Jesus is patient with non-believers. He wants us to be patient as well. God is working. Christian, do not be agitated about those who refuse to follow Jesus. Do not judge them. Influence as many as you can before the harvest comes. But be patient. God will fulfill his promises. There will be a harvest. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet, then today is the day to change that. Change now and enter the kingdom of Jesus while change is possible. So when the harvest comes, you can't change. After the harvest, you certainly can't change. Now is the time. Our self-centeredness, our rebellion, our sin has made us the, the enemies of Jesus. We, that makes us weeds in this parable. It's only when we've trusted in Jesus, trusted in his death, death that he died to save us trusted in his resurrection that he rose for us and that he is coming again and that there will be a harvest when we trust him and follow him then we can become wheat we can become fruitful we can bear fruit even as god is continued to work Friends, look here. Look in this parable of the wheat and the weeds. Which fate would rather would you rather have? What what do you want your fate to be at the harvest? Trust Jesus and follow him. You do not want to experience what the weeds here experience. Well, secondly then, let's look at Jesus' parable about the, the mustard seed. We're going to th- think about it in terms of patience while we wait for expansion. I've been doing a certain amount of expanding over lockdown. That's been due to the snacks. Uh, but uh, we're not talking about that here. 
look with me down in verse 31 and in verse 32. The point here, I think, is, is pretty straightforward, right? The kingdom of Jesus starts really small and yet will grow into something out of proportion of all its beginnings. And the, the mustard seed at the time was, was known uh, proverbially as being very, very small. Uh, the rabbis would refer to it in that way. Um, uh, even now, botanically, as far as, we, as far as we know from all the plants that you would grow in a, let's call it a cottage garden, which is, which is the underlying word here, the mustard seed is still the smallest seed. Um, apparently, I'm not a botanist, apparently tobacco has a smaller seed, but tobacco wasn't in Israel at that point. This is the smallest seed available then. Um, and yet it grows into this big thing. What kind of kingdom would you start so small? If you were starting a kingdom, if you were starting an enterprise, you want to start from a good, big powerful foundation not a baby in in a manger not a tiny vulnerable fragile baby surely no kingdom started from such small humble beginnings but even within the lifetime of of these disciples who jesus is talking to the number of followers is going to grow amazingly and since then, astonishingly, without getting into any, you know, lots of arguments about, about how we're going to call someone a Christian or something like that, uh, 2.4 billion people in the world self-identify as Christians at this point. And so Jesus wants to let his disciples know that even though the kingdom before the harvest this harvest of the righteousness and uh, righteous and the unrighteous, growth will be amazing. The disciples, 120 people round about, we think, gathered in one room in Jerusalem after Jesus has died, presumably quite a big room. And this is going to grow into thousands, even within a few years. Does... Does God's kingdom seem small and fragile to you sometimes? Does church feel small and fragile to you sometimes? Be patient while God is working. He will fulfill his promises. The results will be impressive. The kingdom will grow. It's okay. If it feels that way to you sometimes, don't mistake what is happening. The God is working. Thirdly then, patience while we wait for influence. Look there in verse 33. Uh, parable, this uh, lady is baking some bread. The parable's quite similar in some ways to the, to the previous one, to the parable of the mustard seed. Um, it's a big batch of bread here. 
I mean, this is a lot of bread. Um, it's enough to feed a big family and a ton of guests. Uh, and to make all that bread, she's just going to add a little bit of yeast. A little bit of yeast. So again, we've got that sense, like the previous parable, of something small to big. It's the same kind of idea. But, but here, I want to suggest there's, there's something a bit different going on. So it's not so much about growth as about change or, or influence. I'm no baker. Uh, some of you I know bake bread uh, yourselves. Uh, my hat goes off to you. Uh, I wouldn't know where to start. But, but as far as I can tell from talking to people who have done this, um, you don't actually see... You don't actually see the yeast itself at work. What you see is the effect. You see the effect of the, of the bread and the change that's coming about. But you don't actually see that, that chemical reaction from the yeast inside as it's making bread. I'm not very technically gifted when I'm saying that, when we're making bread. Um, it, this parable... It's talking about influence, the influence that happens subtly and yet irresistibly with the kingdom of God. Jesus wants his disciples to know that his kingdom is going to have huge influence in the world from a small beginning, but that that influence will not often be on public display, perhaps. It's not big and flashy. It's steady unobtrusive, yet inevitable. For example, think how many of our laws come from the morality of the Bible. A small example. Are people conscious of that in 21st century UK? Probably most aren't. And yet that influence is huge in terms of our courts and our legal system it's steady unobtrusive and yet inevitable Jesus wants us to be patient while God is working his work is often unobtrusive unobserved by the world around us and yet the influence is massive so So the disciples have received this teaching publicly. Notice then down in verse 36, they go into uh, the house that they came out of before the parable of the four soils. It's in Capernaum. And Jesus gives them a private explanation of the first parable. After this, they go on with Jesus in the rest of his ministry. They go to Jerusalem, they see the the conflict with the Pharisees ramping up. Ramping up to the point of Jesus' torture and humiliation. His persecution and death. They experience the wonder of seeing this Son of Man, this Messiah, resurrected, of, of Seeing him, touching him, sitting and eating with him. 
after the resurrection, after the resurrection, they have 40 days with Jesus where, the, where he explains to them the scripture. He, he shows them everything in there. What an what a intense but incredible seminary experience that must have been. And he shows them what the kingdom of God is like. And after all that, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they say, they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? Even after all this teaching, they're still eager, impatient for the kingdom. They want to see the harvest. They want to see the kingdom grow. They want it to be influential. And that's, and that's not wrong, right? That's a good thing. That's a good desire. We, I'm not saying that's wrong in any way. But it can lead us down a wrong path often. It can lead us down a path where we're trying to push the pace beyond what God has designed. They were eager, they were ready, they've just had these ex- incredible experiences, so I, I get that. And Jesus is, not yet, be patient, wait for God. God is working, he's fulfilling his promises. The result is going to be impressive. It's going to be influential. Don't deny. Don't, don't worry. There will be a harvest. Jesus wants his disciples to be patient while they were experiencing, while they were going through that conflict, that suffering, that opposition. He wants us to be patient while we're going through suffering and conflict and opposition because God is working. Let's pray. Heavenly gracious Father, we thank you for your word. It is a light to our feet. It is a lamp to our path. Lord, we love you. We want your kingdom to come now. We're not for our sake, but for your glory. We want people to know you and trust you. Lord, as we have come to do, because... It is a treasure beyond all price. And many don't. And so that makes us agitated and frustrated. Lord, help us to be patient. Help us to show people your love. Help us to remember that you are at work, although we often do not recognise it. Even as we sleep, you work. Even as we rest, you work. Lord, help us to be patient, to do what we can, to be fruitful wheat, to influence the people around us, and to look forward with great hope to that harvest time. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.